Open a Bible with me to the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin at verse 57 of Luke 1. So if you're using the Bible that's right there in the hymnal rack, you can find this on page 1013, page 1013. At the beginning of Luke's Gospel, we've heard the angelic announcements of miraculous births. That Elizabeth, though too old to have a child, though called barren by her neighbors, will give birth in her old age to a son who will receive the name John. Mary will miraculously conceive by the power of God's Spirit and will give birth to the Son of God, Jesus. And so listen, as we see now, the angelic announcements fulfilled as God proves that he is a God who keeps his word. This is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his covenant, his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Let me invite you to bow your heads as I pray. Father in heaven, we give you praise that we have heard your truth from your word. Lord, without this revelation to us, we would be lost in darkness, trapped in the despair of death. And yet you are the God who is gracious to us. You sent angels to announce good news. You had the apostles and your disciples write these things down that we might read them today. And so, Lord, may your spirit continue to be active in our midst. 
May he give us the faith to believe, the willingness to turn from our sin, to trust in you. May your redemption and salvation be applied to us as we listen to your word today. Let us find in your gospel our hope, the hope that comes to us through Jesus our Savior, we pray in his name. Amen. One of the Christmas stories that I see recycled every year, for at least the past decade or so, is the neighbor next door to the large Christmas light extravaganza. I mean, your home is bathed in light from the the tens of thousands of light bulbs that your neighbor has put up. Your simple Christmas decorations will look pitiful in comparison. So do you spend months stringing lights and saving for your December electric bill, or do you come up with a different solution? I mean, every year I see it reported online. The next-door neighbor who just throws in the towel and strings up just a few lights to spell out the word ditto. (laughs) No need to try to purchase thousands of lights, just a few, just one word, ditto. Maybe if they're really energetic, they put an arrow pointing, but you didn't even really need the arrow. You had it figured out. The person who's saying, yes, I love it, but I'm not going to compete with it. I just agree. Same for me. Ditto. Now, this tongue-in-cheek response generally brings neighbors together for a laugh. But which neighbor are you? And I don't just mean with Christmas decorations. I mean, is your Christmas filled with joy? Or is it just leaving you feeling overwhelmed? Now, I don't want to minimize the pain of the season, nor elevate any of our modern traditions like Christmas lights to, to, to a status of necessity. But do you hear the Christmas story as good news? When you talk about the arrival of Christ, would your neighbors hear your joy? Would the light of Christmas shine from your home into your neighborhood? Zechariah the priest has been silent for most of this year because he doubted the angel Gabriel's announcement that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a son. Gabriel was sent from God, an angelic messenger, with good news. That's what he says. I'm here, Zechariah, with good news for you and for all Israel. But instead of good news, Zechariah, well, he heard foolishness. I mean, look at us. We're not the childbearing couple in the community. We're a couple that's barren, that has not received the blessing of children. We're too old for this. And so throughout Elizabeth's pregnancy, God had imposed a forced silence upon Zechariah. But God was at work during these months of silence. The miraculous pregnancy confirms the angel's message. Zechariah, during the the intervening months of pregnancy, has turned from doubt to faith. And now, when his tongue is loosed, his neighbors hear a message of joy. They share the joy of Elizabeth, 
this proud and unexpectant mother. And they hear news of salvation. See, as Zechariah began to speak, we, we read in verses 64 and 65, he began to speak praising God, and the neighbors were all filled with awe because they realized God is doing something marvelous here. Because this is a miraculous birth. And so when, when Elizabeth shares this good news, it comes to us simply in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. But in those words are the unexpected fulfillment of God's promise. Unexpected to all of her neighbors because, well, we know who Elizabeth is. We know how old she is. We know how long she's lived in the neighborhood. We know she's not a woman who could give birth to a son. And yet, when this happens, look at verse 58, how everyone in the, in the neighborhood responds. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. I mean, the lights on, on her Christmas display flood the entire community. Everyone shares her joy because she has given birth to the promised son, the prophet John. And then we, we realize that on the, the eighth day, they take the child, so one week old, they take him to be circumcised, following the commands of God in the Old Testament. And we might have expected that, that Zechariah's silence would have ended at the birth. But, but he's still silent for this first week until they name the child. He had been told by the angel Gabriel that you will, your wife will give birth to a son and you will give him the name John. And so when Elizabeth explains this to the neighbors, to the priests performing the circumcision, everybody objects. Well, no, 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 that's not how this works. You don't, I mean, you don't flip through a baby book or scroll through a website looking for creative names. That's not how naming a baby works. You pick his father's name, or if you want to get really wild, you can pick his grandfather's name. All right, we would let you slip in like a great uncle who didn't have any sons. Like, we'll let that happen, but that's it. Because that's the custom of the time, is that a son would bear his father's name. Or, or maybe, although this is even unex would be unexpected, a, a, another relative's name. And so, so everyone objects. They're not going to do it. Like, we're going to hold up the whole ceremony here because she can't just pick any name she wants. And so they, they figure, well, let's, let's get Zechariah's opinion. What, what does he say? But he has been unable to speak. It's perhaps maybe he, he's been unable to hear all through this as well because it, we're, we're told that they play charades in order to figure out what does he want to name the child. So they give him a, a writing tablet, and he writes it down. He repeats what his wife had said, what the angel had told to him. His name is John. Because Zechariah has moved from the place of doubting the possibility, Gabriel, I don't care that you came from heaven. I'm not going to believe it. I don't care if God said it to you directly and then you were sent to me with this message. That's nonsense. That kind of thing doesn't happen. Sure, we have, we have some, some miraculous births in the Bible where God meets the need of a, a woman who was, who was described previously as barren, but but that can't happen now. And yet the pregnancy and the birth of the son confirm that God has done something amazing. 
He doesn't, he doesn't merely say his name shall be John. No, no, his name is John. As soon as the angel, as, as soon as, as we conceived, I realized the miracle had taken place. His name is John. As, as soon as she started to show, when, when Mary came to us and, and the, the child leaped for joy, his name is John. Because God is a promise-keeping God. God is performing his word. He said it, and now he's going to act it out for us to see. God promised a son, and the son is here. Everything the angel had said has now come to pass. And so Zechariah's response, that we're told in verse 64, immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. And just as the announcement of the birth had filled the community with joy, so the response of Zechariah impacts the whole community as well. Verse 65 says it's not just the neighbors that are here seeing this, but it, this story spreads throughout all of Judea. I mean, did you hear about that old priest and his old wife who gave birth to a child? I mean, they claim an angel showed up and told them this was going to happen. And honestly, I mean, that's as good of explanation as any. I mean, because there's no possible way that could happen otherwise. Everyone is talking about it. Everyone who heard about this wondered about it. See, does, does your celebration of Christmas, does your joy cause other people to think, oh, could that be true? I had a conversation uh, recently with a, with a nephew who's been sharing the gospel with a good friend. And, and, and the friend who has some big questions about, like, can you trust this? Could it really happen? Do miracles work? He said, I really want it to be true. And I thought, well, that says something about the way my nephew has been sharing the gospel. Not as a, a sort of list of, well, if you do this and then do this, then you can make yourself right with God. And remember, we don't do that. Like, that, that it wasn't, because that's sometimes, maybe that's how you've heard Christianity shared with you, as a list of obligations or a list of, of expectations. But no, Christianity at its core is good news. God has come into the world to rescue you from your sin. And so when, you're, when your friends and neighbors hear you explain it, do they say, oh, I hope that's true. I, I want that to be true. Or do they just sort of turn and say, well, that sounds terrible anyway. Why would I switch what I believe to follow that? I mean, I'd rather keep my own list of rules than have somebody else dump a list of rules on me. But Christianity is not a story about what we need to do to make ourselves right with God. It's a story about what God has done. That's how Zechariah's song begins. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. It's a story of God's action, of God's arrival, of God's work of redemption. And so that's why when, when people hear this story, they begin to wonder what it could be. The neighbors, verse 65, said they were all filled with awe. I mean, literally, the, the language there is fear fell upon them. They, they heard the announcement of the birth. They got the, the notice in the mail, the, the picture of the, the baby born with his old parents standing next to him, and they were filled with great joy. But now when they hear the more details of the rank of story, now they're, they're filled with, awe, with fear, with awe, with, with an expectation that, wait, 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 something enormous is happening here. Angels? 
are in our midst. God himself is at work. And so everyone begins to talk about it. So does your Christmas experience lead others to joy? Do they think, that sounds like really good news? And so Zechariah now steps into the role of a prophet, filled like Mary and Elizabeth have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesies. A song which begins much the way the Old Testament songs begin. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. An announcement of praise to God. He, he hasn't been able to speak for nine months, and so the first thing he wants to do is praise God. And so he has this song composed where he announces what God has done. Now, verses 68 through 75, so half of this song, is all one sentence in the Greek. I mean, he, he, just, he just pours forth praise. There's no need to put a period or an exclamation point. You just, you just keep going. Once he gets started talking about what God has done, he, he just he begins to, to pour out the fact that, that God has redeemed us. He's brought us salvation. He has rescued us from our enemies. The major theme of this song of praise is, as one commentator says, God's redemption through a Davidic king. The great-great-grandson of David has returned to claim the throne which had been promised to David. God is doing something remarkable here. And it's clear that Zechariah is not yet talking about his own son, John. He'll get to that in verse 76 when he finally pauses to take a breath. No, he's at first talking about a Davidic king. He's a priest. He's not from the, the, the line of Judah. He's a Levite, a priest. And so he's talking about the Messiah who would come. And what will the Messiah do? He will redeem the people of God. Redemption, a, a word that we throw around in church, we, we fill praise songs with it. it, it it's, a, it's a description of God buying us out of our slavery, paying the full price to set us free, redeeming us from our sin and shame. That's what God is doing, Zechariah says. That's what he's done right here. God is arriving the, the king of kings is in the womb of Mary. God is here. He has come. He has redeemed his people. And then Zechariah begins to use the, 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 the biblical analogies and, and metaphors that describe the work of God, this redemption. Verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The horn the, the, symbolizing the strength of the animal of salvation. That God saves us. That we were in need of, of rescue and help. And God provides salvation. We were, we were under the weight of sin, but God is the one who will rescue us. And he's done this through the, through the ministry of his servant, David. Now, there are two men whose names are referenced in this portion of the song. Abraham, the one to whom God first made this covenant promise, and we looked at that last week because that reflects and, and captures some of Mary's Magnificat, her song of praise to God, that God would be faithful to his covenant. And so Zechariah repeats that, that song of praise, but, but he gets more specific by describing the, that this horn of salvation comes in the house of God's servant, David. Now, you know the story of David. I mean, you know the story of David even if this is the first time you've 
been here to visit with us. You know some of the details. The shepherd boy who defeated a giant. The, the youngest son anointed to be king unexpectedly. The one who, who proves God's faithfulness. The God shows mercy to him even after his sin. He repents and comes back and finds salvation in God. But, but Zechariah references David not, not so that we remember the exploits of this king, but so that we remember the promises of God. David founded the capital of Jerusalem for the people of God, and he was preparing to, to, to build the, the temple. They had a, a, a temporary structure, the tabernacle, but, but he wants to build a home for God. And so, so he begins to prepare, but, but Nathan, the prophet, is sent by God to say, no, 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 wait, your son will build the temple, but I'm going to make a promise to you. In, in 2 Samuel 7, one of those, those chapters in the Old Testament that shines forth the, the hope of the gospel for us, God speaks through his servant, Nathan, says to David, I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men of the earth. I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own. So it's God's promise that he is the one doing it. And then he ends the, the promise in 2 Samuel 7, verse 16, by saying to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And yes, it lasted several hundred years. But then the great armies of the north came and destroyed the kingdom. And so where is this Davidic king? The king who sits on the throne in Jerusalem? Well, I mean, he's not even, I mean, he's not even Jewish. I mean, he's definitely not a son of David. I mean, Herod? He's a, he's a pretender to the, the legitimate throne. And yet, Zechariah's song says, no, no, God swore an oath to our father Abraham. God's keeping his promise that David David's son will be on the throne forever because the one who will be born is the king. And so there is mercy and salvation available to us. God is the one who rescues us. And the language here is, is language that, that shows forth that God is active and at work in the life of his people, saving them from their enemies, rescuing us from the hands of our enemies. But it's a promise that extends to all who put their faith in Jesus that we can find rescue. But it means we have to admit we need to be rescued. And so many of us spend our lives sort of dragging ourselves up and, and sort of trying to stand tall and saying, no, 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 I mean, not me. I'm doing just fine. And maybe relatively speaking, you are. I mean, compared to the people around you. But not compared to the holiness and righteousness of God. We're all in desperate need of rescue. And yet the rescue is costly. The redemption price must be paid. And that's why Jesus has come. To die on the cross, to pay the price for our salvation. To rescue us from our sins, to fulfill the promises that have been made. Zechariah's song is a song of praise that announces salvation. Not just for him and his wife and his son, but for all who hear this good news, that we might be set free to serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness, all of our days. 
Zechariah takes a, a deep breath between verses 75 and 76 and now prophesies over this infant son of his. He says in verse 76, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. See, John's role is as a prophet. John's role is as the announcer. John is there to prepare the way of the Lord. Remember where this began. The Lord has come and redeemed his people. And so, John, your role will be to go out and, and prepare the way for the Lord's arrival, to announce to everyone forgiveness of sins is right here. Not through the ministry of John himself. He, he, his role is to give the people knowledge of salvation, to tell them about the forgiveness. He can't provide it himself, but he announces what the Lord will do. He is the great prophet of God. In, in middle school, I, I tried out for the school musical, which, uh, boys, let me give you some advice. In middle school, participation and enthusiasm are really all you need. You don't actually need any talent. You just have to show up. Now, girls, on the other hand, I'm sorry, you probably actually need some talent, okay? Because they're going to be more, at least when I was in middle school, maybe this isn't true anymore, but, but signing up for the musical, there were, there were more girls that signed up, and so not everyone got a part. But, but it was going to be some sort of Broadway musical review, like songs from a bunch of different, a, a bunch of different shows. And so the tryouts didn't give us much clarity as to the storyline. But when the call sheet was posted, my name was at the top in the number one position, Kevin Kozlowski. Now, I was excited because I had a lot of lines to memorize. I got fitted for a tuxedo, which a middle schooler in a tuxedo, I mean, yeah, it's, it's as funny as you're, as you're picturing. But as we moved into rehearsals, I, I finally figured it out. My name was first on the call sheet, not because I had the most important part. My name was first on the call sheet because I was the first to speak during the show. And actually, as it turns out, I wasn't really in the show, not the musical part. I, in my tuxedo, stood at the front of the stage and announced what was coming next, and then walked over and sat on a bench at the front. I never got to tap dance. I didn't get to sing. I didn't get to do anything except announce the next song and then sit. I didn't even get to walk off stage where I could at least goof around. I just sit on the stage, still and silent through the whole show. And honestly, I was, I was at this point ready to quit. And it was really only my mother's enthusiasm that kept me all the way through the performances. I announced the dramatic scene and then exited stage left. That's the role of John the Baptist. His name is first on the call sheet. You list all of the prophets of God. Jesus himself says, there is no one greater born among men than John the Baptist. The greatest man who ever lived, except in Christ. And what is his job? Announce the drama which is about to take place and then step off the stage. Because he's not the show. Now, I tend to think I'm the show. I mean, not just in middle school. This is a problem I drag with me through life. I'm just a messenger. 
you and I announce what God has done so that others would hear about what Jesus has done. They would gain knowledge of the salvation that is offered to us. And so John's role would be point to the tender mercy of God. Look, that's, that's what, what his father says in verse 78. John is to give people the knowledge of salvation, verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. You stand now in darkness, in the shadow of death, and yet there is a light that will shine. That's John's role. Look to the horizon. The light will shine. The Savior has come. The sun rise from heaven is here for us. Heaven's sun has risen. God's light shines on you. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise that you have not left us stumbling in darkness. You have not left us in the land of the shadow of death, but you sent Jesus, your Son, to be the sunlight from heaven to guide our way, to give us light in our darkness, to give us life where there was death. Father, we thank you that Jesus, in his death, offers us the hope of eternal life. Lord, I pray that our Christmas celebration, both as individuals, families, and, and corporately as a church, that our Christmas celebration would be a light for our neighbors, that they would hear your message of good news, they, they would respond to receive the salvation that you have offered, that this Christmas would be a season of great joy, of celebration among our neighbors, because Jesus, our Savior, has come. So, Father in heaven, we come praying in his name. Amen.